Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I'm going to try to preach and teach a little bit together, and I do want to teach you some stuff. And we, we have been in the book of Acts, y'all. This is our 17th week of me teaching in the book of Acts. You know, this whole book started with just a handful of people in Jesus. And if you remember, Jesus died and was resurrected. He comes back, spends 40 days on the earth with the disciples. And he tells them that he's going to leave them for good. But he, but he says, don't fret. I'm going to leave you the promise of the Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. He left them for us. He's a guide, he's a counselor, he's a convictor, he's a teacher. He speaks to you, he, he shows you the next step. He brings us power. Jesus tells the disciples, he says, you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that, that was the promise. And then we read in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit does come and they begin to speak in other tongues. And then they go out into the streets and they start evangelizing, that's Acts chapter two. And it was this promise that this gospel was going to spread outside of Jerusalem. But as we read the first six books of Acts chapter or Acts one through six, we see that it doesn't spread. It's, it stays in Jerusalem. The primary people hearing the gospel are, are Hebrews. They're Jewish. And then something happens in Acts chapter seven and eight. We begin to see persecution in the church. Stephen is killed. He's martyred. We see great persecution coming against the church. We see believers getting run out of their homes. They begin to scatter. But guess where they scatter to? Judea and Samaria. Let that be a reminder in your life what the enemy is doing. God's really got his hand in it. He's using it for his glory and for his good. But it starts with persecution. And, And we started talking about this a few weeks ago. And the guy leading the persecution was a guy named Saul. But then we, we, we were here last time, Acts chapter 9, we see something happens. The guy who is in charge of persecuting the believers, Saul, becomes a believer. And I like that. That ought to give us all hope that if Jesus can save Saul, he can save anybody. That if Jesus can use Saul, he can use anybody. And now Christianity is spreading exponentially. It's reaching new regions new people groups, new ethnicities. But when it does, it's going to attack some mindsets. It's going to attack some cultural ideologies. Why? Because Christianity is countercultural. It, it pushes against values. It pushes against behavioral norms. And it challenges our carnal minds. Not to build our own kingdom, but to build his kingdom. And that's what I want to unpack today. And that's what we're going to see today. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, you can look at the screens. I'm going to preach the entire book of Acts chapter 10, the entire chapter, Acts chapter 10. I'm going to give you 16 verses now, and then we'll tackle the rest later. So when you're there, say I'm there. Acts chapter 10. Here we go. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. Everybody say Cornelius, a centurion, 
that was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision, an angel of God came in and said to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel of the Lord spoke to him and he had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So Cornelius has a vision and encounter with God. And we're about to see another man have a vision and an encounter with God. So on the next day, this is the next day, it says, as they were on their journey, these are Cornelius' servants, and they were approaching the city, Peter, Peter, there we go, went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. I want to preach a message to you this morning, simply entitled, yes, no, maybe so. Yes, no. Maybe so. Ask your neighbor, do I look good this morning? Now respond to them and say, yes, no, maybe so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the reading of your word. God, I pray as these words jump off the pages of your Bible, your love letter to us, that God, these are not just words written by flesh. God, they're the thoughts of you inspired by the Holy Spirit. God, we know that it's your word that changes, so we ask for transformation today in all of our lives. Do what only you can do. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Yes, no, maybe so. Say it one more time. Yes, no, maybe so. I I thought we'd play a little game this morning, so go ahead and put on your participants. This is going to be a participatory sermon. The name of the game I want to play this morning is called Yes. Yep. I asked my staff this week, I said, uh, I need some help preaching this message. Can you give me some questions to ask the people of our Savior's church that they will either respond yes, no, or maybe so? And, and so I just want to do a little polling this morning. And so I'm just going to ask the question, then I'll ask all the yeses, raise their hands, all the noes, raise their hands, and then the maybe so's, raise their hands. Y'all got it, right? Pretty, pretty. Y'all know I used to want to be a game show host, right? All right, so welcome to Yes, So, Maybe So. Yes, No, Maybe. I I can't even get the title of my game show right. All right, here's the first question. Would you ever skydive? Yes, no, maybe so. All the yeses, you would skydive, raise your hand. Yes. Has anybody in here skydived? I have. Yes, I did. You did? Come on. Yeses, raise your hand. Yeses, yeses. Noes, raise your hand. Maybe so's. All right, there we go. All right. All right, now this, th- these questions get tougher. These are from our staff. This next question is, would you ever eat gumbo outside of Louisiana? 
Listen, if you raise your hand, yes, we will excommunicate you from the church right now. I'm going to the next one. All the yeses. What? All the noes. Raise your hand. There we go. Come on. All right. Next question. Would you travel the world with no money working for it as you go? How many yeses? That's my kind of people right there. We're, we're the wingers. The no's, raise your hand. Maybe so's. All right, I think this next question came from Pastor Myron. Would you eat a rat for $50? <laughs> the, the, now, now, this ain't no, like, pet store rat. This is one that's been crawling through your walls and crevices trying to get to your pantry to eat your out-of-state gumbo. <laughs> yes, it's 50 bucks. Go ahead and eye these people right now. Just don't shake their hand after service. You ain't got to worry about COVID. You need to worry about catching something else from them. All the no's. Any maybe so's? All right. All right. Would you run a marathon? Yes. Has anybody in here run a marathon? You have? I have absolutely nothing in common with you people. If something ain't chasing me, I ain't running. Yes is raise your hand. You would run a marathon. You would run a marathon. No's raise your hand. I got both hands up. Maybe so's. All right, this next one. Uh, would, you, would you sing in front of a crowd? Yes is raise your hand. Yes is raise your hand. You would? You want to sing right now, Miss Pam? Come on, come on up here. What am I singing? What you want to sing? Amazing Grace? I can do that. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing Grace How sweet The I forgot the words. <laughs> Come on, y'all give it up for Miss Pamela Jackson. Yes. No. Maybe so. Your answers indicate your preference. No, I would not eat a rat because that's not my preference. Okay? Rats ain't my preference. Y'all, I, I don't touch rats. Yes, I would sing because I like to sing. It's a matter of preference. See, your answers, say this with me, indicate your preference. Preference is good when you're picking out your outfit. Preference is good when you're trying to determine what's for lunch. Preference is good when you're getting ready to put on some tunes. I mean, do you prefer Willie and Waylon or you wanna to listen to a little Drake? It's your preference. Preference is not good when responding to the voice of God. I've come to learn in my own life that when often when God wants a yes, 
my preference will often say no or maybe so. That doesn't jive well with God because the core of Christianity is obedience, not preference. Are you tracking with me? That's why the Bible says things like deny your flesh, crucify yourself, get, get rid of moral filth, pick up your cross. I must decrease so that he may increase. It's not about you, boo. Lay aside your old self, Paul says. Count yourselves dead to your former man. See, following Jesus is never about preference. And that's difficult because we come out of the, the womb hardwired, preferring ourselves. I mean, just think about your kids. I had to teach my kids a lot of stuff. I spent six weeks telling Tucker how to say, dad, 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 dad. You know what word I never had to teach my kids? Mine. Give me. And we've spent years teaching our kids it's not about them, right? And so, you, you, I mean, you, you, parents, come on, raise your hands. When your kids are small, you know, I remember we, we had a little neighborhood kid named Brock. Brock used to come over and play with Tucker. And Tucker would have a truck. And Tucker never even played with the truck. But when Brock would come over, Brock would start playing with the truck. And all of a sudden, Tucker don't like somebody else playing with his truck because it ain't Brock's truck. It's Tucker's truck. Now, Tucker ain't touched the truck in six weeks. But as soon as Brock takes the truck, Tucker says, Mine. And so I took the truck from Tucker. I said, that ain't yours, boy. You didn't pay for it. I did. That's my gift to you. I want to teach you something as your father, that when I gave a gift to you, I get to decide who gets to use it and who doesn't. And because you're not using it properly, I'm going to take the gift from you and give it to someone Else, as a good father, I had to teach my kids that they had to share the gifts that came from me. I think as adults, we have to be reminded that every good and perfect gift comes from the father. And it's not giving to us for us. It's given to us for somebody else. <laughs> including your faith. Including your blessings. And I know we say stuff all the time. That's my church. My blessings, my faith, my miracle, my worship, my salvation. Yeah, listen to me. Yes, they are yours, but those blessings are given to you, but they're not about you. They have to be shared. Think about if the Holy Spirit falls in Acts chapter 2, yet they never leave the upper room. Imagine if the early church never shared their faith. Y'all, this sermon series would have been over 15 weeks ago because we would have only got through Acts chapter 2 and the book would have been over. But it's, it's 28 chapters for a reason because it traces the growth of the church from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And now we're going to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. But in order for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth, God had to break some preferences. God had to break some mindsets. God had to break some, some ideologies. And we're about to see in Acts chapter 2 that God gives two men... Two visions in order to break preferences and mindsets. So let's go back to Acts chapter 10. God's going to talk to us about two men. The two men are Cornelius. Everybody say Cornelius. Everybody say Peter. That's the two men we're going to look at. 
Now, the Bible tells us that Cornelius was uh, an Italian. He, he wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile, means that he was a non-Jew. Uh, he is a centurion, which means that he is a captain overseeing a hundred men. So he's a well-respected leader. Uh, he, he is part of the Italian cohort, which means that his primary responsibility was moving towards the nation of Italy in that land. And he's best described to us as devout and God-feared. He, he's described as a God-feared who uh, entered, attended the synagogue and who followed the Hebrew scriptures. And we also see that Cornelius was very generous with his money and pr- prayed continually to God. Now, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon of the ninth hour, the angel of the Lord, or God himself, is going to appear to Cornelius in a vision. And this is what it says. About the ninth hour, this is verse 3, on the day he saw clearly in a vision, an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, he calls him by name, and he stared at him in terror and say, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So in other words, he's saying your faithfulness and your generosity has gotten God's attention. And because it's got God's attention, God has an assignment for, for, for you to do. He can trust you with this assignment. And, and so that's what he, he does. And so he's, he says, here's your assignment. It says this, he says, now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Simon Peter. Bring him back. He, he is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him departed, immediately he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those uh, who attended him and had related everything to them. And he sends them to Joppa. Here's what happens. I want you to watch the progression. Cornelius is faithful, he's generous, and he's prayerful. Because of that, God speaks to Cornelius, and he says, send some men to Joppa. And it says, Cornelius obeyed God, and he sent the men. So here's what I want you to see. God gets a yes, everybody say yes, from Cornelius, who is not a Jew. He is an Italian Gentile. God gets a yes from an Italian. God's about to get a no from a Jew. 30 minutes down the road, 30 miles down the road, the second guy is Peter. Everybody say Peter. So here's what happens. The next day when they were on the journey, Cornelius' men to go and get Peter and approaching the, the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open, something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him that says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means. That's an emphatic no. Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And then it says in verse 16, this happened not once, not twice, but three times a lady. And, there, and then it says, and the thing was taken up into the heavens. So here's, here's how bizarre this story is. Cornelius is faithful and prayerful. God speaks to Cornelius and Cornelius obeyed God with a yes. Peter is faithful and prayerful. God speaks to Peter But Peter does not obey God, and he says, no. Let me tell you what's going on behind the scenes. Peter is with this other man named Simon. He's a tanner, and he's at his house, which is in Jaffa. Jaffa is 
present-day Tel Aviv. And at noon, he goes to the rooftop to pray. He gets hungry. And while his meal is being prepared, he falls asleep. As he falls asleep, he goes into this, this trance. He, he starts seeing things. God begins to speak to him. It's, it's this, this vision. And the vision is this great sheet coming down by its four corners. And in this sheet were all types of animals. It was, it was birds and beasts and reptiles. And a voice says, rise up, kill, and eat. Rise up, kill, and eat. Rise up, kill, and eat. But Peter says, no, not once, not twice, but three times. And when God says, uh, what we made clean, do not call common. Now, this happened three times. So here's my question. Why does Peter hesitate? Why, 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 does Peter, why does Peter say, no, what does this even mean, this, this vision in a sheet and reptiles and birds and animals? Let, let, let me put this into, can I put some, some Louisiana vernacular on this? All right, yesterday was opening day of squirrel season. Can I get an amen from the church? Bow season is now open. Duck season is right around the corner. Come on, where are my hunters at? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I thought we were in St. Landry Parish. <laughs> They're all hunting. They ain't here. <laughs> the few hunters that are here this morning, and they're not in the woods fighting the mosquitoes, I pray they get eat up this morning with mosquitoes. <laughs> I just want you to imagine with me. You fall into a trance. You're like in your lazy boy. You know that afternoon power nap? The, the aroma of gumbo is cooking in the kitchen. Mama's been in the kitchen all day. You, you can smell it, but, and, and you're hungry, but, you know, it's, it's that mid-afternoon nap. Ain't nothing good on TV, so you just kind of, you know, you just kick back in the lazy boy. And, and, and you, you go into a deep sleep, a trance, and then the Lord calls you by name. He says, Burgess, it is I, the Lord. And he's got your attention. And then all of a sudden in your dream, you start to see squirrel. And hogs. And deer. And ducks. And geese. And rabbits. And he says, get up, son. Kill. And eat. Every good old boy from St. Landry Parish would get up out of that lazy boy and say, yes, Lord, I've heard the Lord. You'd grab your shotgun and you would go to the woods. That's just what we do in South Louisiana. Somebody was talking about Adam and Eve one time. I said, if Adam and Eve were Cajuns, they would have ignored the apple and ate the snake. It's just what we do. Put some Tonys on that thing. That thing will taste real good. So, so my question is, why, why does Peter... Tell God, no, I'm not, I'm not getting up. I'm, I'm not going to go kill anything, and I'm not going to eat it. What, what, was it that he was not an outdoorsman? What, what was it that, you know, he, he didn't like good Cajun food? No, actually, the real reason is found in the, the Old Testament. In, in, in the book of Leviticus, we, we see what the Bible calls ceremonial law. It's Levitical law. It's, it was cultural laws set up in the Old Testament. And this is what the Old Testament tells us. I'm going to explain this in a second. Look at Leviticus chapter 11. I want to read a few verses to you. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat 
among all the animals that are on the earth. And he gives them descriptions of the ones they can eat. He says, uh, he says the, the, these are the living animals you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. He says, whatever parts of the hoof are in cloven, footed, and, and choose the cud among those animals you may eat. He says, so if, you know, if it chews the cud, y'all know what that means? It, y'all, y'all know, he, they, they regurgitate it for digestion and they keep bringing it back up and chewing it until they can digest it properly. And so it says, if that animal has to do two things, it, it has to chew its cud and it has to have a cloven, it has to be cloven footed or parted. You know, it has to have the, the, the hoofs. They, it has to be both. If, if it's one or the other, you can't eat it. So he gives them a description of the animals that, that, he, that they can't eat. So then he says, uh, you can't eat those things, but then he begins to tell them all, specifically the ones he can't eat. And in verse five, he says, and the rock badger, everybody say the rock badger. Now the rock badger, you know what that is? That's a squirrel. Because it chews its cud. Now it doesn't part the hoof, but it chooses, it chooses cud. So you, you can't eat that. And, and uh, the hare, y'all know what the hare is, right? Lapin, the rabbit, no rabbits. Because it chooses cud, but it does not part the hoof. It's unclean for you. And it says, and the Pork, boudin, cracklings, jambalaya, because it parts the hoof and it's cloven footed, but it does not chew, it does not chew its cloth, so it's unclean to you. But anything, and it says, and don't eat this either, but anything in the seas, the rivers that does not have fins or scales of the swarming creatures, shrimp. Crawfish, crab is detestable to you. So according to Leviticus 11 that Peter would know, the following foods are unclean and detestable for you and I to eat. Squirrel, rabbit, pork, shrimp, crawfish, and crabs. Can somebody just praise Jesus that we ain't under Levitical law no more? Because I would just move on up out of Louisiana. (laughs) Let's be real honest. There ain't a whole lot to look at in Louisiana. I'm here for two reasons, the people and the food. <laughs> That's it. So, so, so what, what, what's the big deal about why, why, why did Peter not want to eat these unclean animals? Well, well part, some people say it's, it's health reasons, but it's bigger than that. See, the command to avoid eating certain kinds of animals symbolized the need for making distinctions between the people of God and the nations that did not worship the one true God. So in other words, don't consume what the pagans consume. So in the Old Testament, food separated cultures and people. And the people that ate the unclean foods were considered unclean, and the people that ate the clean foods were considered clean. Now, this was a temporal requirement, and Jesus comes to abolish the ceremonial law, and Jesus tells us why he doesn't. I'm so thankful that he did, or we wouldn't be eating boudin today, but here's what Jesus says. Look at the words of Jesus 1,500 years later, and I'm so thankful he said this. This is what Jesus says, and he says, and he called the people to him and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. 
There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of him of a person are what defiles him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, you are also without understanding. Do you not see whatever goes into a person from the outside can't defile them? A squirrel can't defile you. Boudin can't defile you. Hogs can't defile you. Ducks can't defile you. He says, that's not what defiles you. Since it enters not the heart, but the stomach, and it's expelled, it comes back out. Thus he, the pet player, come on somebody, all, all foods are clean. And then he says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. He says, for, for within, out of the heart of a man comes evil thoughts and sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covenant, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and that's what defiles a person. In other words, it's not about what you put in your stomach. It's about what comes out of your heart. That's what makes you clean or unclean. But see, Peter didn't have that understanding because 3,500 years ago, see, what you put into your stomach wasn't about taste and it wasn't about nutrition. What you put into your stomach was about culture. It was about ethnicity. It was about distinction. It was about separation. See, culture told them what to eat. And watch this. The reason Peter initially said no to God was because he was saying yes to his culture. Oh, don't act like we ain't done that. No, no, God, I can't eat that. My culture tells me not to, but my word says to. Which one are we going to choose? The point of Peter's vision was never about killing food. The point of Peter's vision was to show him that Jews may fellowship with Gentiles and Gentiles may fellowship with Jews. Listen to me. In Jesus, no one is clean or unclean because of dietary laws. No one is clean or unclean because of ethnicity. No one is clean or unclean because of their culture. No one is clean or unclean based on skin pigmentation. What Peter was having to understand was the Holy Spirit was telling him, it's not about being born a Jew or Gentile. It's not about being born black or white. It's about being born again. That's what it comes down to. Yet for some reason, we continue to elevate our race, our ethnicity, our skin pigmentation, and our political affiliation over the cross of Jesus. Listen to me. No one in this room today was born clean. We all nasty. Tore up from the floor up. Messed up from the chest up. And it has nothing to do with what's on the outside of you. It has to do with the fact that we're born into sin. And sin makes us unclean. We're all born with unclean hearts. And that's why we must be born again. I don't care how you were born. People tell me all the time, I was born that way. Yeah, you were. A sinner. Newsflash. 
I know you may not believe this. I was born white. Now, sometimes I do identify myself as a black man. I was born, I didn't choose, I was born with Anglo-Saxon Caucasian roots. I was born in America. That's my heritage. That's my culture. That's how I was born. Every person in this room has a heritage. Every person in this room has a culture. Every person in this room has an identity. Every person in this room has a citizenship. But listen to me. When I became born again, I became a citizen of the kingdom of God. And my American citizenship and my Caucasian whiteness became an inferior identity. It's not that those things aren't important. It's not that I can't celebrate those things. It's just that those things are inferior to the kingdom that I'm now a part of. Listen to me. Your culture is important, but God's kingdom is more important. And when God starts talking about kingdoms, he uses this word, it's crazy. He uses the word nation. The word nation is the Greek word ethnos. But when God describes the kingdom that I'm a part of, he doesn't say you're part of a white nation. He doesn't say, Danny, you're part of a black nation. He doesn't say that you're part of a yellow nation or a red nation or a brown nation. When he's talking about the kingdom of God in 1 Peter, he says we're part of a holy nation. A holy nation. And I guess my question today is this, where is that nation? How is it in this country most who claim citizenship in a holy nation seem more tied to their political parties, skin color, and American identity than the kingdom of God? When, when we do that, we're no different than Peter. I'm pr- listen, I'm proud of my heritage. You should be proud of your heritage. Don't, don't ever let anybody tell you not to be. I'm proud to be an American. We got, we got so many flaws in this nation, but you know what? Nobody's leaves, leaving this nation hanging on to a 747 trying to go to another nation. They're doing that trying to get to our nation. So I'm, I'm, I'm still proud. And with all of our flaws, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I live here. I can preach freely today. You can't do this in other nations. So I'm not saying don't be proud to be an American. I'm not saying don't be proud to be white. I'm not saying don't be proud to be black. I'm not saying don't be proud of your heritage. I'm not saying don't be proud to be from South Louisiana or Chitania or Ville Platte, wherever. No, 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 that's important. Just know its place. Because if we're honest, there's been things in all of our country, all of our cultures, and all of our heritages that we put above the banner of the kingdom. Am I making sense? See, what Peter did was he said yes to culture while saying no to God. My, my, my. Watch this. Vic, help me out. Peter is a bit perplexed trying to figure out what the vision means. But while God's giving him the vision, the men from Cornelius' house, the Italians, show up 
at Peter's house, the Jew. He's giving him a living illustration. And the spirit tells Peter, because he finally gets to go down to them, and they say to him, Cornelius sent us to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in, and they stayed the night, and then they made their way to Caesarea to Cornelius' house. So they go back to Cornelius' house. And they arrived at Cornelius' house. There was his relatives and close friends. It's like my big fat Greek wedding. Peter, the Jew, Y'all ever been to an Italian party? They got lots of cousins. It says all of his relatives and close friends. And here's what happened. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. There's many Italians there. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit with any other nation, ethnos, skin pigmentation. But God, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common. Listen, there is nothing common or unclean about you. You are a child of the living God. So when I was sent for, he says, I came without objection. And then he says, I asked him, why have you sent me? And Cornelius basically tells him, I was just praying and a vision came from God and God told me to send some people to get you, that you were supposed to come here. And that's what I did. In Acts chapter 10, listen to me, the house is filled. It's filled, it's wall to wall. And it's Jews and Gentiles, Hebrews and Italians. Watch this. People who were once segregated are now together under one roof. What do you say to an audience like that? Watch this. Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, ethnos, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And then it says he preached Jesus because they were God-fearing people, but they didn't believe in the resurrection. It says he preached Jesus to them, and they get saved, and they get filled with the Holy Spirit, and they start speaking in other tongues. And then, and then, and then Peter says, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they asked him, hey, bro, you're our brother. Can you stay with us? And he stays. Why am I telling you all this today? With all the division in the world, to have a church like this, where we come together under one roof, worshiping one name, this can't be a Sunday thing. If it's only on Sunday, y'all, we ain't no different than Walmart. I go into Walmart, I see black people, white people, red people, yellow people. Hey. The devil's smart. He's cunning. He's wise. He's crafty. And division Division 
is the devil's weapon of mass destruction. Let me see if I can break up this thing called the kingdom and get them to identify not with the kingdom, but the subsects that they have. So instead of being labeled clean or unclean, sheep or goat, Christian or unbeliever, let, let me see if I can divide them up and, and, and let's do this. Let's get them talking about black and white. Let, 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 let's get them divided according to Republican and Democrat. Let, let them forget the banner that they're really under. Let, let them think that their God is their political candidate. Let, let, wait, let, let's take it further. Let, let's divide them under who's vaccinated and who's not. And if they don't think the way that I think, I'm going to holler at them. I'm going to post about them. He's got the church yelling at each other. Why? Because we're saying yes to the wrong kingdoms. I came to build one kingdom. It ain't a white kingdom. I'm not even a very good white guy. just takes this to a whole nother level. He takes it so far to tell us how important the right kingdom. And I want to just close with this verse, then we're going to receive communion. And I believe communion is going to make more sense to you today than it ever did. Watch this in John chapter 12. Jesus said, watch this. Do you think I've come to bring peace to this earth? Now, this is crazy. You got to understand what this means, because if you don't get this part, you miss it. He says, no, I've come to divide people against each other. Now I have to stop there because he ain't talking about the church. Somebody tried to tell me a while back this scripture was about Jesus wants division in the church. Man, get out of here with that garbage. Anytime Jesus talks about the church, he talks about the body, he talks about the body being one, coming together. It's always unity in in the body. How good and pleasing is it when brothers dwell together? And he's talking about there's got to be a separation from the believer and the unbeliever. That's what he's saying. He goes, don't sell yourself out to to your culture that you can't even receive what God has for you. That's what he's saying. He says, watch, watch, watch the level he takes us talking about culture. He says, from now on, families will be split apart. You can't get any stronger culture than family. That, that's your blood. That's your people. That's, that's how you were born. He says, they're in favor of me and two against or two in favor and three against. Father will be divided against so, so and son and, and father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother and mother-in-law against daughter, so on and so forth. What, what, what's he saying? He's saying even in the strongest cultures in our life, the family, when it comes down to the principles of the kingdom and you have to decide even between your family and the kingdom of God, he says, I want you to pick the kingdom. Now, that's not saying you go wage war on your mother-in-law and all that. That's not what it's saying. But it's saying pick the right kingdom. I guess my question is, can we say yes to the things of God? Can we say yes to the unity of believers? Can we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ? And see them 
as our brothers and sisters in Christ. More than ever, the church needs to be unified. We're going to receive communion today. If you would go ahead and get this cup. Let me tell you why this is so important. Communion is not just about receiving the body and blood of Christ, and we're going to talk about that in a second. It's really about who you receive it with. In Scripture, anytime a covenant was made between brethren, they would always signify the covenant with the breaking of bread. I think everybody in this room when it comes to other believers, whether it was people that look like you or people that haven't looked like you, everybody in this room, you've been done wrong at some point in your life. It's so easy. It's so easy to look at another group, another individual, another family, another race, and think about the wrongs that have been done to you. But what communion does is it takes the attention off of the wrongs of what others have done to me. And it puts the attention on the wrongs that I have done to Jesus. Because his body was broken for me. His blood was spilt for me. And what the cross reminds me of is that there's only one color that matters. And that is the crimson blood of Jesus Christ that covers all of our sins, all of our infirmities, all of our shame, and all of our guilt. And so today I just want to, I want to take communion with my brothers and sisters. This is a family meal. When Jesus had the family meal, he took it with the people that he loved the most. The Bible says this, that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body, which will be broken for you. We live in a broken world, but we have a broken Savior. And the Bible says it's because of his stripes that we are healed. And that's not just physical healing. That's relational healing, too. Can you hold up the bread today? Father, we thank you for the broken body of your son, Jesus. God, his body was beaten. Scripture says he was even unrecognizable as a man. God, we are so humbled today that you would step off the throne of heaven, wrap yourself in human skin, come to this earth, go through the atrocities of man, 
and willingly lay yourself down. Thank you for breaking your body so that your body, the church, can be made whole. You may receive the bread. The Bible says in the same way he took the cup, gave it to his disciples and said, take this, all of you, and drink from it. This is my blood, which will be spilled for you. Forgiveness of sins without the shedding of innocent blood. Jesus spilt every drop, and he covers us. He covers our sins, and today the Bible says do not receive this cup in an unworthy manner. If there's any sin in your life right now before you receive it, it's simply you just saying, God, forgive me. Forgive me. And as you receive the cup today, it symbolizes the blood not just going into your lips, going over your entire being. Would you hold up the cup today? Father, we thank you for the spilt blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you that every drop was spilt. We thank you, God, that we can receive forgiveness today. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for building the wrong kingdoms. Forgive us, Lord, for not making it about you. Forgive us. We thank you today for the blood of Jesus. You may receive the cup. Would you stand to your feet? I just want to encourage you as we leave today. The Bible says, how good and pleasing is it for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. That's not visit. That's not wave. That's dwell. If we're serious, if we're serious about changing this community, And it first has to start in the church. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to encourage you. Start dwelling together. Amen. Father, we thank you today for your word. God, I I know this was not a shouting word where people just say amen. And I know that, God, it's introspective. But, God, I believe today your Holy Spirit is in here and you're piercing hearts of men and women. And, God, I know it's holy and pleasing. I know it's pleasing to you when you see us coming together. So thank you for a church, God, that contends for unity, that fights for it. Lord, thank you for brothers and sisters who don't look like me, who don't always talk like me. But Lord, I I thank you that, God, that we're part of a church that looks like heaven. Lord, and I know your word says that every knee will bow. It's going to be every nation, tongue, and tribe. So thank you, Lord, that we get a glimpse of heaven on earth. Lord, let us be an example to our community. Lord, when politicians and the media and social media is screaming, that the voice of the church will be louder. Thank you that we're building the right kingdom in Jesus' name. And if you receive that, would you shout amen one last time?